Welcome to When We Speak, where we shed stigmas, say goodbye to shame, strengthen ourselves, and encourage others. I am your host, Tasha Hunter. This is a podcast where I am blending the intersections of race, gender, sexuality, faith, and trauma. If there is a topic that most people say we're not supposed to talk about, I'm talking about it because that is how we heal. We don't heal in silence. We heal by speaking out. Ashley, today, uh, I'm so glad that you decided to come on my podcast and we're talking about what it was like for you growing up in a cult. But before we get into your story, if you could just tell listeners a little bit of who you are. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm super excited about this. Been looking forward to it for a couple weeks. And um, yeah, so I guess just a little bit about me. I really have two tracks. I am an abuse survivor. And so I'm also an abuse survivor advocate. And I've got a nonprofit called Courage 365, where we have online and in-person events to really empower survivors of abuse, particularly those who have experienced abuse and trauma in faith and environments. And um, so that is one thing that I do. I work with Courage 365. And then I'm also an intuition coach. So I teach people how to tap into their intuition for safety, abundance, and success. And while those two things might sound really different, there's actually a strong overlap because you need intuition to get safe and to get free. And then once you are safe and free, you can use your intuition to really expand your life in all the ways that you want it. So um, that's just kind of a little, a little bit about what I'm doing these days. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And you're, you're, you're spot on your intuition. I often tell my clients that's your safety. Yes. If you can listen to that, that will lead you to where you need to go, but you've got to know it, at least how to, how to even acknowledge and know what your intuition is and, and how that's different from maybe that other voice, which may be fear. So I love that. That's what you specialize in. <laughs> Thanks. I, it's changed my life. And so I feel almost an obligation to share it with the world because I know it can help other people. Growing up, share a little bit about your upbringing as much as you're comfortable with and we'll go from there. Absolutely. So I grew up in a very cult-like environment, um, and I'll try to explain it in sort of a nutshell version and in a way that hopefully I describe all, what all the terms mean, because as is with most cults, they've got kind of that insider lingo. So I try to have to explain what some of the things are. So stop me if something doesn't make sense and I'm not explaining it. Um, but yeah, basically, um, I grew up in this cult-like environment. I was in a church denomination called Independent Fundamentalist Baptist, and there's about 20 different types of Baptists. So I'm not like knocking all Baptists, but this is a particularly culty type of Baptist. Both of my grandfathers were pastors in this denomination. One had a church in the South, one had a church in the North. Um, I lived in the South in Litchburg, Virginia, Jerry Falwell town, if anybody's familiar with that. <laughs> so uh, already not a great setting to the story, um, but it was a very uh, strict church environment. So like in the bylaws of the church, no kidding, like it said, you couldn't dance. Like you had to sign that when you became a member, no drinking, no dancing. Um, you know, it was very frowned upon for most people to go to like a movie theater. I never went to a movie theater growing up. And there were these really strict gender roles that were taught and just a lot of toxicity in the church in general. 
But then on top of that, I was also homeschooled. And homeschooling can be a good choice for some people. I know Olympic athletes, a lot of times they're homeschooled so they can uh, really just hone their craft. Some people do it for, um, you know, maybe their school system isn't that great. Maybe they have learning disabilities that they like special help with. There can be some good reasons to homeschool. And it's a very broad movement. But inside the homeschooling movement are these smaller little movements. And one of those movements was called the patriarchy movement. And it is exactly like what it sounds like. Like they're not shy about naming their shit, okay? Sorry, I don't know if I could swear on your podcast. Um, they're not shy about that. Mm-hmm. And um, so basically it was about adherence to the patriarchy. You know, men were to have power and control over women in the home, in the church, and often in society as well. A man's job was to make the money, make the decisions. A woman's job was to get married young, have lots of babies, say yes to sex, um, keep the house and homeschool the children. So you've got like the homeschooling movement inside of that is the patriarchy movement. And then the patriarchy movement actually has some smaller movements inside of it. It's sort of like those um, matryoshka um, Russian nesting dolls where they keep like stacking in. It's all the same doll, but like different pieces. Um, so homeschooling movement, patriarchy movement inside of that was something called the quiverful movement. And if you're familiar with either the Duggars, 19 Kids and Counting, yeah. or like Welcome to Plathville, those are like the pop culture examples I have of those. But basically it's this idea that you should have as many children as possible. And why it's called the quiverful movement is they take this Bible verse out of Psalms, like strip it completely from its context. And they say, you know, children are like arrows. Um, Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So to be a blessed man, you should have a quiver full of children, meaning a lot of children. And then with those little arrows that you have, you have as many as possible. And then you shoot them out into like little arrows into society to sink into different sectors of the world, like the home, the church, schools, government, media, all these different things. Um, And if you're wondering if like Mike Pence is one of those plants, I would say yes, looking at his background, like they're strategic and they've got people in some pretty high level places in society. And really the the goal is world domination through overpopulation. And that's actually not um, uncommon in some very um, fundamentalist types of religion, you know, that there are some forms of Islam that also have beliefs like that, some forms of Judaism that have beliefs like that. Um, But this is kind of the quote unquote Christian version of it. So my role as a young woman was going to be to get married young, have all those babies, homeschool them. And that's really what I grew up knowing about my role in the world. And not surprisingly, I experienced multiple forms of abuse, um, you know, all kinds of things, including an abusive um, romantic relationship. And really from a young age, I had a sense of intuition, but it was systemically like pressed out of me. And I was just, it was drilled into my head that you can't trust yourself. Your heart is wicked and deceitful. Um, You should trust the men in your life to tell you what to do. And you shouldn't trust yourself because that's dangerous. And when I got into that abusive romantic relationship. We were actually engaged to be married. We were tracking down to marriage just a few months away. Thankfully, I was able to break that off, but you know, it was it was a traumatic experience. So 
what happens when you break off an abusive relationship for most people is the post-traumatic stress disorder, the PTSD. So I had, you know, the panic attacks, the anxiety, the depression, the, you know, suicidal thoughts, the flashbacks and nightmares. And really one of the tipping points for me was that, that low, low, low time in my life where I wasn't even sure how I could keep living. And you got to remember, like, I got out of that relationship, but I'm still living in a cult. So, you know, like, it's not like all sunshine and roses after I broke it off. Mm-hmm. But I remember one night I had been up pretty late. I usually stayed up pretty late because of the trauma. I was afraid to sleep because I'd have nightmares that I felt out of control in. I didn't really want to be awake because it was just, there was so much panic and anxiety. So what I would do is I'd stay up late at night. So everybody had gone to bed. I would put headphones in and just like blast music so loud to try to drown out the thoughts in my own mind, um, just to kind of keep living. And one of those nights when that happened, I felt this, it almost felt like a presence, like a, um, it kind of had a weight to it, not, not in a bad way, but just like substance. And then I heard these words come into my mind that I, I swear to you, I did, I was not in a place to try to conjure these consciously myself, but it said, it's going to be okay. Something big, something good's about to happen. It's going to be okay. Something big, something good is about to happen. And looking back, you know, at the time I called it something different. Now I realized that it was intuition. That really kind of gave me the courage to go on. And the voice was right. My intuition was right because not many months after I met a guy who introduced me to this concept of equality for women and that I can make my own choices as an adult. And that was sort of a domino effect to me, like reevaluating all of my beliefs and to realizing, oh, wow, I think I'm in a cult. Um, This isn't great. Um, I shouldn't have other adult men. Well, I'm clearly an adult, like definitely legally an adult, making my own decisions about relationships. Um, So I went wild. Like I um, started doing things like swing dancing and listening to Taylor Swift, Mm -hmm. (laughs) all the wild stuff, you know, going to the movie theater to see a show about Jesus. Son of God was my first movie in a movie theater. And I felt so rebellious for seeing it. Um, But I also started dating, you know, like real dating, not like courtship where parents were heavily involved. I quickly met my my now husband, Will Easter, and he was just so he loved me so much. And he he gave me so much freedom. Like he just uh, he believed in equality. He treated me as an equal. He was sensitive to the abuses I'd experienced. And so we dated for four months. We were engaged for four months. Our intuition from the very beginning was like, this is the person I need to marry. Um, we've been married for almost seven years now. And that was my escape from the cult. And it was really my intuition that brought me to that place. And then it was my intuition again that very early on in our marriage was like, hey, you know, you've experienced abuse. You need to start talking about this on your blog. And then from there, so many people started reaching out to me and telling me about their experiences in faith environments. And then from there, my intuition was like, you need to start an event. So I started the Courage Conference in 2016 and we had a sold out event. I swear I'd never host an event before, nothing like Mm -hmm. that. But following intuition and just all these people needing to know they weren't alone. And so that's how the nonprofit started. Um, That's how my advocacy work started. And 
that's kind of my story in a nutshell. I'm happy to go further, yeah. but I figure I've talked a lot and I'll let you ask any follow-up questions. Yeah, I didn't want to interrupt because I wanted listeners to hear all of that. Um, so you you had the the, the insight, the, the 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 intuitive voice came. Yeah. How old were you at that time? Um, I think I was 21. Yeah. You were 21. And so, but but I'm really wondering, so so that happened, but when was it when you you had the voice, but there was also when did you know inside, like this upbringing, something is not right. This does not feel mm. right. Yeah. When did that happen for you? Yeah. So kind of what happened with that is pretty shortly after that happened, there was a woman who had visited our church and was quickly like, this is not for me. <laughs> Understandably mm -hmm. good on her, but mm -hmm. we remained friends and she uh, worked at a coffee shop. And she invited me to come visit her there. And when I came, she introduced me to this guy who enjoyed theology. And I enjoyed theology. I had a blog called Stay at Home Daughter. And mm -hmm. I wrote about adherence to the patriarchy from my quote unquote theological position that I'd been taught. Mm -hmm. And so we started talking theology and he believed in equality for women. And he said like, you can still be a Christian and believe in equality for women. I was like, what? No, you cannot, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I, I'm a pastor's granddaughter. How dare you mm -hmm. try to lead me astray? You know, all these things are going through my mind. Mm -hmm. um, and I really tried to push off that conversation, but he just kept kind of poking at me and he found me on Facebook and would send me messages and questions and stuff. And I finally realized that to get him off my back, we were going to have to have a debate and mm -hmm. stereotype is true. Um, homeschoolers are notoriously good debaters. It's just a fact. And so I was like, okay, in order to um, prepare for this debate, I need to study his point of view. So I know it better than he does. So I know all the weak points so I can kick the legs out from underneath him in this yeah. debate. Well, the debate never had to happen because studying about equality for women, both from at the time, you know, like a, a theological perspective, but then also just like a social justice and health and safety perspective that convinced me. And there was a night where it was, it felt like a tipping point of, I had realized I'm not going to have to debate this guy um, anymore because, you know, I've already been convinced, but also like, if I keep going down this road, if I keep t listening to my intuition, asking these questions and studying, I'm gonna have to change my whole life. And that is terrifying because this is my entire life. It's all built on patriarchy. And when you pull that piece out, like everything else crumbles, like my family, my church, my community, I really only knew people inside that church and maybe a few others who had similar beliefs, you know, outside of our church. Um, and I ultimately had to make a choice. Am I going to go with what my intuition is saying that this is right, that women should be treated as equals and that is going to shake my world and change everything. And I'm going to have to reevaluate this whole system. Or am I going to try to shove it down and just pretend that I don't know that because that'd be easier. But I, I couldn't do that. I didn't know how I could live with myself knowing I'd seen the truth. And then I was like actively pushing it away. So I made a choice to keep researching and studying. And that did change my mind. Um, 
my family was not pleased. Like as predicted, it didn't go well when I started being like, I am an adult and I'm going to need to start being treated like one where I can make my own decisions um, about mm-hmm. my life and, you know, romantic partners, those types of things. But I would say it was, again, another late night experience of yeah. like, I'm alone. I can finally hear my intuition. And now it's giving me sort of an ultimatum of, am I going to go with the truth or am I going to push this down to make things quote unquote easier? Right. So you're doing all this research, you're introduced to new people. Mm-hmm. What was it? We, we often have this moment where, although we've been going through our own evolution, the people in our families of origin and in our community, they don't realize what's happening. Right. So for you, do you remember a moment when, although you you had already started changing and you had this new level of awareness, do you remember a moment in which your family was introduced to Ashley, the... <laughs> yeah, yeah. The new you, the you that you were always supposed to be. Yes, that happened pretty quickly because I started talking about the new things I was thinking and believing. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> it was hard to keep it to myself. And mm-hmm. it wasn't just the patriarchy thing. It was like everything. It was like, well, why can't I dance? What mm-hmm. What's wrong with movie theaters? And maybe I shouldn't do this courtship thing and I should be able to pick my own spouse all mm-hmm. on my own without any help. It, it really got super tense. I had only really experienced seeing my family's vitriol against other people outside the cult, Mm -hmm. Um, people who decided to think differently. I'd seen their reactions to people who had an occasional beer once in a while and how they had confronted them and it became a whole big thing, how they'd confronted other families for watching movies that we didn't agree with. But I never had that vitriol really um, pointed at me. And it, it was kind of a shock to the system. And so I would lock myself in my room, which I feel bad for my sister. You know, that was her room, too. But I really need some time alone. And I think the thing that really helped me in that moment was, you know, I was doing the researching and I was part of a group called, you know, State Home Daughters. Um, And I started researching other State Home Daughters stories. And I came across this book. um, It was called Recovering Daughters. And it talked about exactly my experience. Like I felt like they were writing my story. Um, But one of the key things that was in there was they also talked about how kind of the playbook that parents in those movements use when their children start speaking out and even changing just in slight ways. And my parents like acted exactly like the book predicted. And if I hadn't seen that, I would have thought that there was something wrong with me, that I had become an evil person. But when I saw somebody has actually written and documented this, and there's multiple stories of stay-at-home daughters who've had their parents behave this way, mm-hmm. I then be a, began to realize, okay, this isn't about me. This is about their inability to change. And we had like eight hours of super intense, it felt like interrogation, honestly. And at the end of it, I sort of gave them this ultimatum of like, I don't really have a great job. Like I'm a nanny and it would be really uncomfortable for me to move out. But here's the deal. I either need to be treated like an adult or I'm going to leave and figure it out. And I know you don't want that. So maybe you should treat me like an adult. I didn't say it exactly that way, but that was kind of boiled down. Um, And they didn't want me to leave. And so we sort of came up with this 
system that didn't work, but it was like, while you're physically in our home, you have to obey our rules. But when you walk out the door, then you are able to do your own thing, which is just like, that's just not sustainable. But it stayed that way um, until, you know, I started dating, got engaged and then got married. And when I got married, I started talking more openly and publicly about some of the things that had happened in my life. And eventually I realized that they were, though they knew those things were true, they weren't going to defend me. They weren't going to apologize, you know, any of those things. And they wanted to really shame me, I felt, in front of my siblings. And so there had to be a line in the sand moment where I was like, you either support me in talking about what has happened to me Mm -hmm. um, or... I can't do this anymore. Like I can't sit across the Thanksgiving table and pretend that this is okay when you're, when I know you know everything I'm saying is true, but you're denying it all, <laughs> pretending right. that I'm crazy basically. And so that's sort of, I haven't spoken to them really since 2016-ish. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of it, you know, it was sad and heartbreaking, but also like, I don't regret that. Um, because I've been able to grow and evolve and be my full self without their expectations and attempts to control image. Sure. With everything that you experience, the depression, the anxiety, the PTSD, um, and I don't mean to like diagnose you or anything, but just listening sure. to what you say it, uh, did you have PTSD or do you, any of that, or, or was it just the, the, the awareness, the naming, I experienced trauma? Yeah. So I did see a therapist and they told mm-hmm. me it was PTSD. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, so you did see therapy. That was my next, see a therapist. That was my next question. Along with that, are there any support groups for mm-hmm. people that are recovering that did escape and are kind of finding out who they are and healing from all of those things. Are there any specific support groups? Yeah. So I found support in a variety of different ways, you know, online mainly because, um, you know, my church growing up wasn't the only one that had toxic ideology, like living in Jerry Falwell town, the toxicity is pretty high in the general Mm -hmm. community. So Mm -hmm. mine was pretty intense, Mm -hmm. but also like, most of other people's experiences living there, if they've been involved um, with conservative religion in Lynchburg, Virginia, it's pretty intense also. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, mainly online things. So I don't even know if it's running anymore because this is years ago, but I'd came across a, um, I think it was maybe called the Underground Railroad for stay-at-home daughters. Mm-hmm. And it like helped connect you to people who could help you escape um, and connect you with like, hey, you should work at Starbucks because they have benefits or, you know, kind of giving you some life tips. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know as a part of a group like that at some point. Um, but then as I kind of got safe and, you know, was with my husband where I could really truly be my full self, um, you know, it was just a lot of talking on Twitter and, you know, finding different niche groups around, you know, independent fundamentalist Baptist, you know, toxicity or stay-at-home daughter or homeschool. You know, there was, there's a lot of different groups if you search for them. But what, what I did with Courage 365 and the Courage Conference was like, okay, these people are talking online. 
and they feel so alone and isolated, like, how do we get them in the same room so they can know they're not alone and they can talk to other people and hug them and, you know, hear stories. And so that's really why Courage 365 and originally the Courage Conference was birthed to facilitate that. Yeah. Well, creating that that safe community. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what you created. So, yeah. um, so before we get to really, I, I want to hear more about Courage 365 and, and you're kind of letting listeners in on it so that they can be aware as well. I listened to your podcast episode with the Preacher Boys. Yeah. Which was an, an amazing, I loved, I listened to it twice. It was such a great episode. Oh gosh. When it comes to intuition. Yeah. Because you talked briefly about that. What do you know for sure about intuition or listening to your intuition? I know for sure that intuition is always right and that everybody has access to it. A lot of times we start listening to what I call the ego voice or the voice of fear, the voice of trauma, the voice of anxiety. And it's not to say that the ego's voice and that fear anxiety is always wrong because sometimes it has some good points, but Mm -hmm. it has a limited perspective. It is based in staying safe, playing small, keeping you in your comfort zone. And, you know, if a bear starts to run at you in the woods, you know, and your fear picks up, well, yeah, you should probably listen to it in that moment. But, If you hear a crack in the woods and your ego, your fear, your trauma brain pops up and it's like, ah, it's a bear when there's actually no bears in that state or something like that, um, Mm -hmm. it's probably not helpful to listen to it. So it has a limited perspective. Your intuition, however, is always right. And we're seeing from science that... um, It actually goes through some very similar processes to what we would think of as analyzing something. So in our conscious mind, a lot of times we analyze data. We get like a pros and con list. We um, like if we're trying to solve a math problem, it's like, okay, I've got to see the math problem in front of me. Got to remember back to high school or college about how to solve the math problem got to remember all those steps, got to work the steps, and then hope that you're not dyslexic like me and you flip the six and the nine or you forget to carry the one or something. And then so sometimes, you know, that conscious mind, that ego mind is right, but sometimes it's not. And it's a pretty slow process. Mm -hmm. Intuition happens in your subconscious mind and it goes through a similar analytical process, but your fear, ego and anxiety are not in the way. And it has access to more data points, things like energy that you can pick up in the room. Like I'm sure you've been into a space where you didn't even hear anybody talking, but when you stepped in the room, you knew a fight had just gone down. (laughs) You can feel that, you know, your intuition has access to that. It has access to ancestral DNA memory, like epigenetics. Um, It has access to fetal memory, to um, memories that you consciously don't recall, but, you know, are, you know, stored in your subconscious mind and and many, many more things. You know, I talk about that with my clients and it goes through an analytical process to give you answers, but it does it below the surface where you're not aware of that analytical process happening. Um, Science calls it rapid cognition too, because it goes through that data to get you an answer, but it does it in about one to three seconds. And then it pings it up from your subconscious mind to your conscious mind. And intuition is like the bridge of like letting you know that your subconscious mind got 
um, an answer for you, got something you need to pay attention to. And it shows up in four main ways. One is through feelings in your body. So like a gut feeling or, you know, chills go down your spine or sometimes my legs get tingly or something like that. Um, it can show up as a knowing, like all of a sudden you're like, I don't know how I know this, but like, I know I'm not supposed yeah. to trust this person or I know I need to take this leap in my business um, or I know I need to dig deeper. The other two ways is seeing, and I put that in quotation marks because it could be dreams, visions, and meditation or images that pop to your head and they signal and mean something to you so you know what it means. Same thing with hearing. I put that in quotation marks too. That night when I heard the voice that said, it's going to be okay, something big, something good's about to happen. If you'd been sitting beside me, you would not have heard it. It wasn't audible mm -hmm. in that way, but it was a phrase that came to my mind from my intuition. And so what I know about intuition is that you can always trust it and that it always has your back. You have access to it. You just have to learn how to tap into it. I just want to talk about intuition for the next 30 hours. Just <laughs> I love that topic so much. <laughs> Do as well. Oh, are you are you writing a book? That wasn't supposed to be in my questions, but do you have a book? Um, no, I'm not writing a book right now, but I, I do have one that I wrote back in 2017 called The Courage Coach, and it's a practical, friendly guide on how to heal from abuse, just like those next steps of like identifying maybe something's off and, mm -hmm. you know, how to get in touch with a good therapist, what to expect from family and friends who maybe aren't supportive. But for the intuition stuff, no, I, I actually have a couple courses. I do have a, a free uh, ebook, which maybe you'd be interested in. It's called um, The Intuition Versus Ego Toolkit. And so it's a really short ebook that just breaks down sort of what I talked about, the two differences between intuition and ego. It's got a quick tap in, tap out meditation so you can access intuition quickly. And then there's some like journaling prompts because there are categories that I can talk to people about, about how intuition feels and how ego feels. But you'll tend to be able to connect better to that when you journal about how it felt in your body when intuition was speaking and when ego was speaking so you can pick up quicker. Um, but yeah, anybody who wants that, it's just ashleyeaster.com slash toolkit and it's totally free. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I asked that question as if we were at the end of the interview and we're not at the end. <laughs> we're not at the end. That's fine, that's totally fine. <laughs> like I want to read anything that you have so oh. I'm going to get the ebook there are in my work because I specialize in trauma mm -hmm. with all of my clients I am speaking to them about how they're able to connect with their self their highest self yes. and their intuition and they're always asking well how do I know about intuition as part of what I provide in therapy, I am also going to, to connect them with you and with you. your website so that they can get your ebook. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah that's important. I've, yeah, I, I've talked, I talk to therapists pretty regularly and, um, you know, some of them have gone through my courses. Some of them, you know, are just kind of looking at the intuition work and it really is such a powerful, powerful thing. Um, because when you can trust yourself, like you're golden because, you know, it's great to take input from other people, but when you can, you know, check that against your intuition, I mean, safety, abundance, and success, that's, that's what intuition brings. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and you just made me think that oftentimes I'll talk about intuition in terms of, that that's your your inner knowing, right? Mm. 
But when you've been traumatized, the first thing that's taken away from you or that you're robbed of is your voice. Yes. So there's some relearning, some reparenting, really learning how to listen, Mm. you know? So anyhow, um, yeah, I won't divert any more from, because I could talk about that for hours. (laughs) Well, we'll have to do that sometime because I love to talk about it for hours too. (laughs) Yes. When it comes to being yourself, the self that you were always created to be, what do you know for sure about that? I believe that my purpose here in life is to pursue happiness and freedom for myself first and then for others. I don't subscribe to a theology or an ideology where I'm here to suffer and to learn painful lessons. Sometimes those things happen in life, but I think I'm here to experience joy, happiness, pleasure, freedom, and then from that abundant place in myself to help create that for other people. So that goes into social justice work, that goes into helping abuse survivors get free, that goes into helping people tap into their intuition. Um, But yeah, I think I'm supposed to be here to be happy and free and to help other people do the same. That is so important because oftentimes, especially in the Christian community, yeah. You are taught that you are here to suffer. Right. That that's what this world is, that that's what this life is about. And that when you die or or that your goal is to get to heaven where there will be no more suffering. Right. Right. So I have to, I have, I'm born to suffer. <laughs> yeah. And then at some point at the end of my life, if I'm good enough, if, if I make, make the cut, then maybe I'll go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Is that that's kind of how I understood a part right. of my Christian journey um, early on or early teachings. And I know now that the, that's, that's a lie. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, how convenient is that for people who are, you know, cult leaders and people who are in charge and maybe even not a full fledged cult, but just like very high control leaders. Like it's super convenient to teach a theology of continual suffering and sacrifice when they want you to suffer and sacrifice so you can pad their pockets or give them a boost in their esteem. It, it doesn't control people as well when you're like, Hey, you should listen to yourself and Mm -hmm. find happiness and freedom. So you can enjoy life and then help others enjoy it. Like it should sell better, but it usually doesn't. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. During the moments of like your, your own, again, I called it like an evolution, but, but you deconstructing and reconstructing and all of that. How did you handle the loneliness? I always sought out people who had similar experiences to myself. And there have certainly been times of loneliness, but not very many because I've been very active in creating a new community for myself. I think a mistake that a lot of people make is they leave an old community and they don't try to find another safe community. Yes. They think, okay, all community is bad and you know, it's not worth it. And there are some other bad communities. And I would definitely say, listen to your intuition on, you know, what communities to join, how long to stay, what people to connect with. But I've always just found that being vulnerable publicly about my story has attracted people who've had similar things 
And then initially bonding over like, okay, we've had this shared terrible experience, but I, I just heard this term the other day. It was the first time I heard it. It was instead of post-traumatic stress disorder, it was post-traumatic growth. And this idea of like, after you've gone through trauma, it doesn't negate the pain, but also there can be some pretty incredible growth. And when you can connect with people who've gone through something similar and then are now on a similar healing journey, that's, that's really where you can find some depth of community. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know anybody in my town right now. I'm actually living next to my husband's grandparents. This is kind of a more temporary thing, taking care of them, you know, looking after them a bit, but I am not lonely because I have so many friends that I met online, people I talk to on the phone consistently. So whether it's in person or online, find people who've gone through that post-traumatic growth. Yeah. And, and you're exactly right. Oftentimes because of trauma, people feel like, well, I can't trust anybody. Right. And so then they have no friends. They -hmm. also have no family and they're trying to heal alone and you just can't. No, you can't. You can't. So you do need other people for support. You do need to be in community with other people yeah. And I think that's the hardest thing to get people to realize is that you're out here by yourself. Yeah, it, I, it, I'm with you. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, that's that it's it's hard to, to to figure out how to trust. Now, in listening to your episode with the preacher boys, you mentioned some people that that really I think encouraged or inspired you. One of them was Rachel Held Evans, who's no longer here with us. Mm-hmm. Um, well, she is here. She'll always be here, but she's not. She's not physically here. Uh, who were some others besides Rachel that you um, that you, you know met through online space and you know maybe just connected with or whatever? Sarah Bessie also. Um, was just really, especially early on, she wrote a book called Jesus Feminist for anybody who wasn't familiar. And then um, her second book was Out of Sorts, which was a great progression because that was sort of my journey. I was like, oh, hey, I'm actually a feminist. And then everything else fell apart because when you pull out patriarchy, the whole system crumbles. Um, And then her next book, Out of Sorts, was all about, you know, weeding through your old beliefs. So that, Mm -hmm. she was very helpful. Uh, her work. Um, you know, I, I really dove into the advocacy community. So people like Boz Chavijan, who, um, you know, he, he did a lot of writing about what to look for in predators and things like that online. Um, so I definitely followed his work. Um, vice president of SNAP Survivors Network of those abused by priests. Mm-hmm. And so looking to their organization and seeing how they have shaped advocacy work mm-hmm. for clergy abuse survivors. And th- there was really a lot of different places, both secular and Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm sort of at this place where I've experienced super fundamentalist Christianity. Then I went like mainstream evangelical, then I went progressive Christian. And now I'm sort of on the side of things where it's like, I think there's truth in this, but also like, I think God might be energy and you know, a little bit broader than just one religion. I, I, I still identify as Christian, but I'm open to more mystery than what I've 
been taught in Christianity, even progressive Christianity. So at this point, you know, I'm also really enjoying teachers like Sahara Rose. She's um, an immigrant woman who really talks about, you know, feminine embodiment and dance and how you can connect with your body through that. And that can be a spiritual practice. There's a lot of different people. What I would encourage some of you to do is find people that you like what they're doing and want to start to become like, but then realize when you hit the point of like, okay, now it's time to deviate off this path and find somebody new because some of my top heroes from very early on, I've kind of evolved past, you know, where they're at. And it's okay Mm -hmm. to let go of those people who are really flags in the sand for you for a while. It's okay to have them be useful in your life for a bit, but now you're a different place. You stated that beautifully. And it, it made me think of my own journey for a very long time. I listened to Joyce Meyer. Yeah. I listened to Christine Kane. I think they, at the time were like the best of friends. Mm-hmm. I listened to at some point, Joel Osteen, uh, Jesse Duplantis. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, there's so many people that I wouldn't dare <laughs> reference now but it's it's okay to evolve right and and I think that those early teachings that that was fine it got me to where I needed to be at that time yep but I kept searching Mm -hmm. and so now like you I'm I, I don't I call myself a Jesus follower yeah yeah but that's that's a loose term and I'm not even sure at times what that means I just I, I believe that Jesus lived. I, I, I believe the things that the Bible says that Jesus did, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. And so, um, yeah. It's weird because I don't know anything other than Christianity. So it's, right. it's a weird space to be in. <laughs> yeah. I kind of, I kind of um, feel a little bit jealous of like Judaism, how you can yeah. be sort of culture culturally Jewish, but not necessarily practicing and also be able to have like other faith things. Like I, I feel like I may be culturally Christian and not in a diluted way of like, Oh, I'm just going with the flow, but more like that is my roots. And also I, that will always be a part of me, but I, I also see that there's more out here and I don't know if it's just that. I am definitely open for the more out here. And I am just this year being introduced to the feminine embodiment dance as, as you, you know, you describe, I I just, because it connects for me from a thematic perspective, Yes, I'm connecting it to trauma healing and getting the trauma out of your body. Right. Yeah. And, and then in terms of how we, think of God in my background, God was always a man. Right. Right. He and him. And what, what would it look like to not think of God as a man and to just think of God as, as all, just as you said, energy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that we're all a part of that and it's not mm-hmm. based off of gender and, and this, this hierarchy. Yes. Of, of God and man and then wife and children and right the whole umbrella thing 
from yeah. Bill Gosford. Yeah, that was no good. That was no good. Yeah, so that's also kind of being dismantled um, in my own journey, and it feels good. It feels free, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, they they had always told me how scary and dangerous and unfulfilling it yeah. would be, and now I'm here, and I'm just like, y'all are missing out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, feels really expansive. <laughs> yeah. I was speaking to a group earlier this week and I was mentioning how when I was attending regular church service and a part of, you know, church, the church yeah. community, I always felt not good enough. Like I needed mm-hmm. to speak in tongues like that person. I needed to praise and worship like this person. I needed to study and read my Bible X amount of hours per, you know, attend church this many times a week. But there was always this pressure to be like the others. And so I just always felt like I wasn't good enough, a good enough Christian. I was always, always trying, like striving to be a better Christian. Right. Right. And on the other side of that, I just get to be Tasha. Yes. And I get to be free and to just be myself. Yes. And it's just such a beautiful experience on, on the other side of, of that life. Right. I yeah. agree. I love that so, so much. Yeah. Mm. For any of the listeners, and I already know that they're going to want to connect with you and, and your work with uh, Courage 365. Can you share how do people get connected? And if you have any events or anything coming up or what they can, what they can look for from Courage 365. Yes. So with Courage 365, you know, we've got our website, Mm -hmm. courage365.org. And on there, there's like a free ebook you can download. We've got a list of, you know, helpful resources. And then we have back episodes to all of our Courage conversation shows. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also stream those every Thursday. We stream a new episode, (laughs) excuse me, every Thursday on our Facebook page. And then it gets put on the website and on YouTube and on our mm-hmm. podcast. And Tasha actually was an excellent speaker a yes. couple of weeks back. You should totally catch her episode. Um, but those are kind of like a weekly event that we do. And then in October, we usually have an in-person courage conference because of COVID. Again, this year we're doing it online, um, mm-hmm. but we're doing a 30 days of courage event, totally free. Um, basically you just have to get inside of our Facebook group. And then we've mm-hmm. had some incredible speakers last year. We had Jonathan Sheck. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's a survivor. And he was also in the show. Um, that thing you do with Tom Hanks. We had, um, Leah Remini who was Scientology mm-hmm. in the aftermath and King of Queens. Um, we've had, you know, some Harvey Weinstein survivors. We've had church mm-hmm. abuse survivors, people like LeVon Proverbs, um, And so we have like a really great 30 days that'll be planned for October. Mm. Um, But as far as like the intuition stuff, that's at ashleyeaster.com. And you can find that intuition versus ego toolkit, just ashleyeaster.com slash toolkit. I've got a monthly membership with like, you know, women's intuition circles every month and intuition card readings. And I've got like a six week course, all kinds of stuff. So if you're interested and you don't know about all my offerings, y'all can just find me on Instagram at I am Ashley Easter. Oh, that's awesome. So I've just got a couple of more questions. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. If you are wanting to move your body, if you're wanting to dance, what kind of music do you typically listen to? Oh, it depends on how I'm feeling. So 
Um, if I just really want to like shake off some negative energy, I'll probably go to shake it off by Taylor Swift because mm-hmm. Taylor Swift was one of the first people that yeah. I listened to of secular music. So she always helped yeah. me to place in my heart, <laughs> but yeah. I like some, you know, upbeat music like that or high, high hopes by, um, can I get the disco? I think. And anyway, so I, I like some high vibe music like that, but if I'm really going into sort of like a meditative dance, there's actually, um, if you just uh, go on YouTube and type in meditative dance, there's several um, music sessions with also kind of giving you ideas of how to move your body. And so sometimes I will do that. And it's a little bit more, um, you know, slower music, you know, kind of um, maybe some drums and some, I feel like there's some flutes and stuff in there. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really good for like focusing, like grounding in and like tapping into that, um, more feminine flow type of thing. So I would really just encourage people to like ask their intuition, what their body's feeling at the moment. Do I need something slow and sensual or do I need Mm -hmm. something upbeat and kind of powerful to get me back in my power? Got it. Uh, Who or what makes you laugh? Uh, my husband makes me laugh. Um, Mm -hmm. he has sort of a dry sense of humor and, he he's not necessarily the kind of person that tells all the jokes, but um, <laughs> he he always has like something in the moment that's funny and mm-hmm. yeah he makes me laugh. And who or what inspires you? Human resilience inspires me. I think I draw inspiration from my own story because it's not just my story; it's kind of the human story and the story of all women. Um, breaking off the shackles of oppression. Oh, that's such an amazing answer. I love that answer. So I'm going to be looking at your website, signing up for your courses. Yes. So I just feel very honored that you would be on my podcast now. So thank you so much for being here. Well, I feel honored. This was so much fun. Your questions, you really asked great engaging questions. I love those. This wasn't, you know, a normal type of interview. This was yeah. this is something special and that's because you created something special. Oh, thank you, Ashley. Thank you so much for listening to When We Speak. Follow me on Instagram at Tasha Hunter LCSW. If you haven't done so yet, please rate, review, and follow me on iTunes and share it on your social media. If you want a copy of my book, What Children Remember, it is available on Amazon. Until next time. Thank you.